0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where you come for the anime and stay for the hot takes. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the classic anime film Ahira. The film was directed by Katsuhiro Otomo and premiered in Japan in July 1988, screening in the U.S. a year later. The movie was adapted from the manga of the same name, which was also created by Katsuhiro Otomo, and uh, ran from December 1982 and concluded in June 1990, which was two years after the film's release. The story takes place in Neo-Tokyo, a cyberpunk alternate version of Tokyo that was rebuilt after a singularity destroyed Tokyo in 1988. In present-day 2019. We follow Kaneda and Tetsuo, members of a young biker gang who by chance encounter an esper that has escaped a secret government facility. Tetsuo soon learns that he too can use psychic powers, and is captured by the government to see how well his powers compare with the mysterious Akira. Kaneda, meanwhile, joins a resistance movement to set to raid the government facility in order to find out what happened to Tetsuo. and. As always, there will be spoilers. So, I'm very proud to say for this episode of uh, Best Seat on the Couch that I have been outweaved by Michael. (laughs) Because, Michael, you are the only one who, up until last week, has seen Akira. I think the rest of us, that's Marcus, Iris, and I, have all watched Akira for the first time last week. Is that correct?
1: That's that's right. Um, I saw it. I believe it was my sophomore year of college, so I would say about like f- three or four years ago at this point. Um, I think it was recommended to me by by my roommate and a couple friends because they had seen it. Um, and uh, just to go into it a little bit, it had a very profound impact. <laughs> <on> the, <laughs> um, it it was definitely one of those movies where you watch it. And then at the end, you're like, you sit there and you're like, what the fuck just happened? But in a good way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. It this this I really love this movie, um, partially for that reason. And, you know, partially for the gorgeous animation and the detail and all that stuff
0: yeah exactly and what about the rest of y'all what were your first impressions of this movie because i well i'll start with myself um i i didn't really know what to expect when i was going into this movie except for the one part that was spoiled for me um i don't know how it was spoiled maybe just through like osmosis on the anime forums or whatever but uh all i knew going into this film was giant meat baby and I was waiting for the giant meat baby to come. And when it finally did, I'm like, oh, okay, that's where it's from. Uh, but everything else, like uh, the lead up to it and the sort of characters that we meet along the way, Kaneda and Tetsuo, and the city that they live in and this like dichotomy between the corrupt government and this resistance fighter uh, group was really interesting. And I didn't really uh, know exactly how deep it went into those like different subjects and like the meaning of life and etc. So I I I did enjoy the film. Um it's it is a little confusing at first though in my opinion. But uh Marcus and Iris, what did you guys think?
2: Well, I I agree with you. There is a very much a a cerebral element to the movie and I'm not going to say that it's entirely all that. I mean, there's a lot of just straight up action sequences and you know, there's a lot of of, of character driven action and stuff but I do think there there is if you start to peel back sort of behind the sort of discontinuous storytelling and some of the uh the the bits of the story that are told through implication rather than directly I do think there is a uh, there's some philosophizing going on here and I will definitely admit that you know just on my first pass I think there's quite a few things that I I probably missed uh but I think my biggest takeaway in the moment is sort of seeing this, seeing, seeing Akira and, and being, being like, okay, this was made in 1988. What are all these other, you know, sort of very big science fiction or cyberpunk or, you know, dystopian post-apocalyptic, you know, works of media that I've really loved like being like, oh man, those must have all drawn inspiration from Akira, from this movie, from the manga. Um and you know i don't know like the whole detail of you know this this movie's history but it feels like i've sort of had a chance to like look a little bit into the dna of of this genre of storytelling you know finally getting a chance to see you know this very seminal work of art
3: yeah i i have most of the same things to to reiterate i will say that Michael's description of the, the what-the-fuck moment after you watch it hit me very hard, personally. That was <laughs> I, I literally was like, wow, I still don't get it. I don't get it. But <laughs> I hope that uh, through our discussion uh, on this podcast, I will get a th- maybe a better idea of what the movie's messages were. Also, I would like to say, Neo-Tokyo, built on Tokyo Bay, coolest shit I've ever seen. That, that just hits all the right notes for, like, like you know, cyberpunk kind of shit for me. So that was really cool to see. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think, obviously, like, The Matrix kind of is, is one of the big uh, examples of movies that they say drew a lot of inspiration from Akira and, you know, kind of was the predecessor of that whole kind of story that they wanted to tell. And um, I think I think uh, just seeing, seeing that this is where it started, like... I would not say this is necessarily a great movie, but seeing where it all came from makes me have a, a different sort of appreciation for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's really interesting to see like what the like what you said, Iris. What the other movies um, that were coming out in that time period were, because uh, in in a lot of ways, Akira was the first sort of big hit that uh Japan had over overseas like over in the US um mm-hmm. so it yeah, premiered absolutely. a year after yeah it premiered a year after it released in the US and if you look at the other sort of shows that were uh animated shows or movies that were being premiered in theaters over there you have like little mermaid all the disney kind of stuff um and then going from that to going to a sort of visceral world that Akira takes place in and uh, all of the like the blood and the guts and like the adult themes that that show that movie has. Uh, somebody pointed out in one of these, <laughs> I, I was telling everybody that I watched a bunch of analysis videos on Akira, but uh, this was like the first time that animation was not designed specifically for kids in the U.S. This was a, an animation that was targeted towards adults and kind of opened up the door for uh the possibilities that animation could have it's not just disney it's not just for kids so Uh, so alex
3: what you're saying is without akira rick and morty wouldn't exist i hate that take so much i hate
2: that take Ooh,
0: i don't know Uh, what what alternate universe would that be if we didn't have akira in the states Hmm.
1: to 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 comment on a uh, a different path um (laughs) I can't remember where I saw this so forgive me if the details are incorrect but if I recall the studio that produced Akira or in fact it wasn't just one studio it was like a myriad of different anime studios that kind of came together to sort of make this blockbuster hit and apparently a lot of the Japanese voice actors were like big hitters so like they were they were pushing this I believe to sort of be this sort of you know cultural force in Japan at least and as far as I can tell it's kind of largely responsible for Japan's sort of anime uh, uh, reach out into the international stage Um, obviously you know you can't just put something on one particular movie in in, uh, itself but it definitely had a large impact in moving anime to be the sort of international thing especially in America
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This whole this whole movie was an incredibly big production. I did a little bit of reading um, on our good friend Wikipedia, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this movie uh, typically for Japanese animation they animate at like twelve frames per second, um, but for this movie they did twice that, like twenty four frames per second or something, uh, yeah. and you can really see the kind of care and detail that was put into this animation because I don't think I've ever seen the level of detail of like 2d animation that was in Akira before. And even in present day anime, especially for present day anime that are made for like a weekly bait release schedule. But like, can I
1: mention, Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, 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 go ahead.
1: I I wanted to mention one shot that kind of exemplifies Mm -hmm. what what you just said it's near the beginning of the movie and i think it's it's like tetsuo after just uh, running into the esper kid um there's a shot it's a camera move on the ground zooming in, or moving towards tetsuo and you can tell it's a camera move because the ground's perspective changes where obviously if it's just a zoom you're just zooming in but since it's a camera move more of the ground becomes visible and they animated that where it's it, it the ground looks almost spherical and it looks like more of itself is revealing itself as the camera moves forward and it's such a, a like you don't need to do that but they did it and the its effect is really awesome it gets this like re, really like visceral sort of feeling after uh, during that shot it's amazing
2: well, I mean, just in taking a look into the production history of this film, I mean, it seems pretty clear that they set out with the intention to make uh, a, a blockbuster, you know, a, 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 a huge hit. I mean, the, what you mentioned earlier about just this conglomeration of animation studios all coming together to collaborate on this. I mean, the budget at the time it was made, it, I think was it was the most expensive anime film ever to have been created, and the record was later surpassed by, you know, Studio Ghibli, uh, you know, our longtime uh, favorites. But, like, this was, at the time it was made, like, a landmark. Um, and there was another thing, uh, a little tidbit that I actually didn't, it was not, like, a detail I knew about just anime in general as an industry, but Akira was the first, like, anime project to pre-score Dialogue. Which means, mm-hmm. you know, to have all the voice cast, record their lines, record the entire dialogue of the movie before any of it is animated. And then as the movie's created to then synchronize the lips of the characters to the voice lines rather than vice versa. And it's still a very rare thing in anime production, but like Akira was like the first time they had done so. And I think, you know, it's, it's another example of just those details that make this movie feel so fluid and so just it feels wrong to say realistic but you know it's it's the kind of thing like when i was watching this movie i was like this is very clearly you know it feels like 80s animation right like there just the, there's there's some kind of intangible essence to it sort of the way that shots are framed the way they use colors etc it feels like animation from the 80s but it looks like it was done recently it looks just so clean and so professional and so you know again i i i I hate to use the word real but that's what it looked like in so many places i think um it's really just impressive considering when and how they made the movie
0: Mm -hmm. yeah for me the detail the scene that really exemplifies how much detail was put in was uh like near the end of the movie before the meat baby scene um, <laughs> where uh, Tetsuo was sitting on like the chair in the oh, yeah. uh, Olympic stadium in Tokyo. That's Olympic exactly stadium. what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And like the veins like dig into that, that have dug into the chair and when he stands up, they like come out one by one, they feed back into the stone and like uh, disattach. Is that a word? But they like free themselves yeah detach Detach. that's it thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) words are hard uh but they detach from the chair and they like flail around and each of those like individual veins look so fluid and so lifelike that that one scene really sort of captures the whole sort of detail and level of uh, care that was put into this animation for me uh but let's talk a little bit about the story Because uh, we mentioned before at the beginning, um, but for me, that the beginning of the story was a little hard to follow, um, because we're just thrown straight into the story. I mean, we start out with the singularity, then we jump ahead to uh, Neo-Tokyo in 2019, and then we meet these bikers, and they're doing biker things, and then there's suddenly an esper there. This is all within like the first 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, But what did you guys think? Did you... How did you think the story sort of evolved over the film? And was it easy to follow or was it a little confusing at times for
2: you? Well, let's say on my behalf, like definitely the sort of introduction to the setting didn't feel super confusing. But that's for me because I'm familiar with just the 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 mores like the standards of sort of cyberpunk and I you know I've done a lot of uh you know reading of uh just like the the cyberpunk like novels uh that really initiated the genre you know around that time a couple of years earlier and um the whole concept is well explored in a, in a lot of things so I didn't you know particularly like the second i saw the words neo tokyo i'm like great i know everything like i need to at this moment about like what's going on in the city sort of the, the 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 different parts the 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 high life glitzy uh tech stuff in the lower dirty seedy underbelly like they that didn't need to be explained to me but i could totally see that in like in retrospect i totally see how like i understood those things just because i've you know read a lot of other works or watched a lot of other works that like draw on this same conception, you know, of the city of the future, the cyberpunk dystopian city of the future. I, my, my feeling is that some of the, or like a, a large portion of the, the difficulty and sort of understanding this movie on the first take is very much intentional. And, you know, this being adapted from a manga, it's hard to, you know, for me to say whether or not that is, you, know, you can source that back to the original manga or, you know, the, the adaptation, but... There's a lot of stuff that the audience is left to sort of piece together themselves. Uh, a lot of just little little details here and there, um, and and it's not it's not even just sort of like the message. Like some of the literal facts, I think, are intentionally obscured. Uh, something that's coming to mind is towards the end when the colonel comes back to like the lead scientist and he's looking at this like psychic imprint, circular, flashing hologram thing. And the colonel's like, oh, my God, what did you do? And the scientist is like, I couldn't throw away such a perfect test subject. I still don't fully understand. Like, was there a conscious choice at some point that the scientist made to, like, not stop Tetsuo from, you know, going all, like, destructo on everything? Like, that wasn't made clear. But, you know, little details like that are, I think, left up for the audience to interpret. You know, Which is to say nothing of the actual sort of, like underlying message and and philosophy and you know stance the movie takes
3: Uh, i will say on top of that that uh in my experience i felt like the movie didn't really didn't really feel like it was getting to the akura part of it until the colonel goes down and the colonel and the scientist go down and see the kind of cryogenic pod that houses what we believe is akura at that point in the movie i think you know, of course it introduces us with this kind of dystopian, you know, very much kind of like people are riding on the streets, there's obvious wealth disparity, there are, you know, I think there's there's definitely more of a strong sense that the public doesn't feel like they have all the information, they feel like, you know, the government is hiding things from them, and of course we do realize that they are, um, but that's kind of all flavor. I don't necessarily feel like that really spoke to me as part of the movie, um, Until, you know, the Colonel, even after the Esper and Tetsuo were recaptured, I still didn't feel like we were seeing anything uh, with the plot moving forward until we kind of get to Akira. We learn the kind of backstory what Akira, you know, this mythical kind of thing that we don't necessarily know about. Um, And then we start to see, you know, oh, okay, Tetsuo has that potential. And there's going to be a very clear kind of divide that separates him and Kaneda. Uh, once they, you know, kind of get to that point. But um, I do think that there are, I think it's more for me that there were individual points in the movie that just felt like they went right over my head. But I think for the overall kind of, you know, I, I guess the point of the movie or the message of the movie, I think I got that. I think I think that was conveyed clearly. I think that was, that was easy to kind of see, um, you know, glorified blood and guts and lasers and shit. Uh, aside
2: well i'm curious now what would you say is the point of the movie in air quotes oh,
0: it stole the words right out of my mouth iris
2: you know because that's a i think with a movie like this saying that you was pretty clear what the point is is kind of a bold stance to take
3: well i think that there's there's a certain kind of parallel between what technology can do to kind of aid in our evolution and the actual kind of like next evolution of humanity that akira represents in the movie and there there seems to be a clear message that um humanity is moving too fast um humanity is not necessarily taking the time and the care that they need to you know build up a society that feels better than the one that they left neo tokyo very much kind of spoke to me as a version of tokyo that was, you know, much more technologically advanced and, you know, in some ways cooler than the old Tokyo that was, you know, nuked. But it obviously wasn't great. Like, that, that message is very clear from the very first couple of minutes of the movie. So I feel like, I feel like the, the fact that both get destroyed at the end of the movie speaks to how there, there's still lots of work for humanity to do, lots of work for scientists to do, Lots of work for the military to do. Lots of work for everybody uh, to do in terms of getting to a point where things could be better and people aren't, you know, power hungry or want to kill each other or whatever. That felt like the most prominent message of the movie to me. But this is Akira. I'm sure there are a lot of different interpretations to it. That just felt, I thought, more clear than, for example, the meat baby, which I'm still not entirely sure what the point of that was (laughs) or like why it happened um but we can discuss that
2: you know later. well also beyond this movie like being akira of course there's a lot of interpretations like this is best seat on the couch of course we're going to have four different and conflicting interpretations because <laughs> while i agree with some of what you said there's a lot of it that i do not uh agree with well, uh ahead. but i want to hear i want to hear michael and alex's take Fair enough. uh yeah um so
1: first as to the sort of statement about confusion at the beginning, I agree with that to a certain extent that um like the the task that uh Otomo that's his name, right? Yep. Um yep. was tasked yeah, uh at the beginning of the film is to introduce in media's res two very, very complex things. One of them being the Espers and one of them being the whole like um the riots that are going on, right? Because those are sort of the key things that we need to come together and for Tetsuo to interact with in order for the for the stuff to kind of to kind of get moving. And the way they do it is they smash the 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 Esberg kid with the riots and the the resistance group that um Kay and that other guy are, are leading. And obviously, in hindsight, we understand what was going on, but like. There is a lot of time in which you're there and you're like, who's this person? Why does that, why does this kid look like an old blue man, <laughs> old guy from a blue man group? What is going on? Why does he have powers? Who the fuck is this woman? Okay. So there's these two biker kids. Okay. I guess they're just, you know, killing people for, cause they're bike gang people. And then they run into the Esper. Right. and, at that point, you're like, okay, I, I, kind of, kind of get what's going on. Like, Tetsuo obviously is going through some stuff, and these Esper's are obviously special, and they're with the government. But I think that, for me at least, the one sort of thing that this movie is did is they tried to put a lot of stuff in this movie, and some stuff just had to get let left on the cutting board, or not the cutting board, but like left left out to dry. So, specifically, I uh, I don't know who I heard, who I heard this from, but apparently, like this film is kind of like the the first few chapters of the manga, and then like the final few chapters of the manga, and there's a ton of space in between. That's that's gone, mm-hmm. right? I'm pretty sure that I don't know what the heck was his name, but the guy who was like praying to Lord Akira and then like dies on a bridge at the end in the manga is like a really important character apparently. Yeah. Um, And also everything that happened with that one politician who had to eat those medicine things to drink the pills in order for his heart to not die out. I have no idea why that was actually in the movie. Honestly, if that guy just got removed, it would have been a better movie. I don't.
3: I, I don't think he actually adds anything to the movie. Yeah. I, even his death scene is like, I, oh, yeah. I
1: think like there's obviously something that they're saying with it, and like you know he's like capitalistic and he's like, I don't know, consumed or I don't know. You well, know, also like he's
2: you, you know like a traitor and funding the rebellion, and we don't know right. what the motivations are. We don't, like. This is sort of what I was touching on earlier. It's hard to say, like, how much of the gaps are an intentional choice versus just a necessary evil of trying to fit, you know, a... Because the manga was long. The manga is really, really long. And there's just no way they could fit everything. But, you know, if Otomo's like, hey, I want to, like, be in charge of this adaptation and, you know, it makes sense, like, creative you know, wouldn't want to, like, cut out entire, like, chunks of that story. So a lot of it kind of, you just have to fill in the gaps yourself. And some of that, I think, at least for me, like, I drew upon, you know, as I mentioned before, experiences with other works in the cyberpunk genre, you know, like, civil unrest, uh, demonstrators, or even rebellions, a heavily militarized police that, you know, uses this incredible technological advantage over the civilian population to kind of be brutal and beat them down. Like, those are all pretty standard fare for cyberpunk works but that doesn't mean they still can't be confusing because they are talked about so little and so indirectly
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and uh man i was going to bring this up later but uh this is just too good of a segue to pass up um but i'll i'll take a little diversion um and then get back to the story uh a diversion towards a segment that's increasingly becoming a thing which is alex talks about adaptation again <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast um but alliteration
1: yeah. or amazing <laughs> exactly. alliteration i suppose <laughs> there, there you
0: go but uh yeah like you said um this movie basically is like the first vo- there are six volumes of akira um The first volume, which is uh, named, uh, I believe it's named Tetsuo or Kaneda, one of them. And then the last volume is the other one, Tetsuo or Kaneda. (laughs) Uh, But it begins and ends with Tetsuo and Kaneda. Um, And yeah, all that middle stuff is taken out. And uh, sort of to illustrate the point, the middle four books, two of them, well, two of them are Akira part one and Akira part two. And the other one is K Part One and K Part Two, so we learn in the manga like a lot more nuance and a lot more depth about K, about Akira, about uh, Tetsuo's girlfriend, uh, whatever her name is. I can't remember. Uh, cowardy, um, I, think I think it was cowardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we learn these like dynamics between all of these multitudes of characters. And I think uh, spoilers for the manga. Um, Neo Tokyo gets destroyed three separate times with three <laughs> different singularities, which was just completely cut for the movie, obviously, because... Yeah, I mean, that would be pretty hard to justify. In
2: it's it's <laughs> like yeah. Mandalore in, in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> right? It just keeps getting reconquered. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, that's why
0: I think some of these sort of uh, plot points that are touched on in the movie, like when Kay and Kaneda were in the prison and Kay was being controlled by that Esper girl and was talking about like Akira's and all of us is in every little thing that was like completely dropped later, never mentioned again. Mm -hmm. Like those things get uh, expanded on and can compounded on in those, uh, in those manga pages. It's an over a thousand page manga, I believe. So obviously combining all of that stuff into something that would make sense in a two hour movie a ton of stuff had to get cut. And I do think it's a part of what contributes to that sort of confusion that I had at the beginning of the show.
2: Yeah, and this is like segueing sort of right into two things I wanted to bring up, one of which I think we can uh, get to later if we have time is sort of my kind of frustration at how much of a non-character Kay was and how much like wasted potential I saw and you know, just how like the character felt like I, I bet she was really cool in the manga. That's how I'll phrase it. You uh, should read the manga. Oh, I, mean, I, 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 I <laughs> uh, what was that about getting outweaved, Alex? <laughs> uh, but the other thing is, I I think because we're of so, what we're, we're sort of dancing around is this this you know notion that hey, from this like massive epic tale in the manga, having done. You know, condensed to fit into a two-hour movie, you know, some stuff got cut and some stuff got focused on, and of course, a lot of what ended up getting focused on was Tetsu and Kanada and their relationship, their back and forth, um, and I think even the movie sort of pulled some stuff out, like all the retrospective scenes about like their childhood, like not showing up until like the final five minutes of the movie, like you know that whether that worked or not is neither here there here nor there, but I really do think that this movie irrespective of sort of what it's being adapted from, I think the movie itself is very much about, it is about Tetsuo and Kaneda. And I Mm -hmm. think this is sort of a separate thing. I think separately it's about power and about the, the, or less so power than is control. The need to assert control over things, over your situation, over you know destructive ability it comes up everywhere right it's it's the 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 root of this conflict between Tetsuo and Kaneda the way the fact that Canada had always been the one in charge in their friendship and Tetsuo always had been made to feel small and powerless and helpless it's the core of the entire you know military you know secret government testing they saw this power they felt the need to control it even perhaps when it should not have been controlled there's a great conversation early on in the movie between the colonel and the head scientist about you know you know, this boy could be the key to touching, you know, the power of God and perhaps, you know, we were not meant to touch some power, and the control's like, no. There are people out there with this power, and we need to control it. Because if it exists, it exists outside of our control and we can't have that, right? And it's you know, this this need for control, I think, in so many spaces, is what leads to just these all the terrible shit that happens throughout the whole movie. The existence of the Espers, the existence of Akira, Tetsuo's like megalomaniacal breakdown, you know, time and time again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This,
0: you know. this is, this is the Kanada and Tetsuo show, basically, because they are the characters that have the most depth of them and are the most fully explored in the movie. And yeah, a, a point I wanted to bring up, uh, like kind of building off your point, Iris is the, the sort of dichotomy that two have where they, both of them live in this sort of crazy, cyberpunk world where chaos is everywhere uh yet Kaneda seems to thrive in the chaos uh he's always the one who's getting into like the scuffles and getting out relatively unscathed whereas Tetsuo is always trying to like catch up to him and is lagging behind and gets injured and Tetsuo himself when he's talking to um Akemi that's the girlfriend's name
2: I think uh, Kaori. Kaori, Kaori is is Tetsuo's girlfriend. Yeah, Kaori. Uh, I don't think the movie to... ever tells us the name of uh, Kaneda's girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Air quotes. Uh,
0: when he's talking to Kaori, he says like, "Let's leave the city." He. It's obvious he doesn't want. He doesn't belong here, and I think that is because of like that lack of control. And once he's given that, it's like a natural sort of descent into madness and power. But yeah, I, I really love the dichotomy between these two characters and like how one is like completely uh shunned in one instance and the two like switch back and forth it's it's great
1: can i ask a question about the meat baby <laughs> because for me the meat baby is the part of my mind that got that that had the most impression on me uh part of the movie at least you know uh, visually as well as kind of just a concept um i'm trying i like this entire time i've been trying to think about what the meat baby means which is the sort of dumbest sentence i think i've ever said out loud. (laughs) but like it like it for me it's one of those things where like i don't know why it works but it works for me
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i I, does anyone have
2: thoughts about meat baby I have some like, initial thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I think definitely the part sort of right before the meat baby, where you know he's uh, Tetsuo's got like the like the arm that he's like telekinetically assembled from like bits of junk and wires yeah. and stray metal, and he sits down on the the throne. That's what it is, and his arm, you know, starts like working its way, building its way across the stone chair. The 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 circuitry expanding, the metal like burrowing in, and there's this whole, you know, in, even from then on. Like, between then and when he really goes out of control and becomes the, the the meat baby, like, technology is still there, you know, there's wires and circuitry sort of encompassing and intermingling with his flesh. Uh, and I, for me at least, that's when sort of the, the, the vague sort of, re- you know, critique of modernity and rejection of, like, modernity that is a very, like, central theme to a lot of cyberpunk works became very visible. It's like, look look at this. It's the technology. He can't control it. It's overtaking him. It's changing who and what he is. Wouldn't that be a bad thing? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think that's that's definitely a big a, a part of it, you know. Um, but then we get into the actual, you know, he really loses it. And there's the whole meat baby. And that I don't really have a good answer for you. I'm certain there's like psychological sort of Freudian takes, you know, he's reverting to his primal self, you know, he can't control his powers. And, you know, they, 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 they turn him into like the basest version of his instincts or like they show him to be the whiny kid that he really is. But like, I don't really that's I'm just pulling that out of the thin air. Like,
0: mm-hmm. please, yeah. please
2: w- fill me in, Alex.
0: <laughs> for, for, for me, it's like the amalgamation of uh, like the old and the new old as in like what humans have had for their entire existence, like just their bodies. Uh, we've been in these. Meetsuits suits for a really long time and then the new being that technology and we can see that sort of in the city itself i mean neo tokyo literally be calling being called neo tokyo built on top of old tokyo and also like that character you brought up michael the shinto priest or guy whatever um like being doing these sort of ceremonies in he's he's like on that bridge and they're painting these like traditional Japanese characters in the middle of this cyberpunk city. And so I think the meat baby is sort of the culmination of that sort of traditional versus new and all kind of like in this one weird uh, meat meat baby. We keep going back to that. Um, And and I think it, it just works because of how well like animated and how well like it moves i mean it moves in a really unnaturally natural way in if that makes any sense um but yeah it's again i think it's there for like shock value i think it does get the point across though
3: i'm i'm glad you mentioned the shock value part because that is really the only thing that i kind of came away with it from it's extremely grotesque it's like disgusting and it is at that moment that like Tetsuo realizes, like, oh, I'm like way too far into this right now. I'm... <laughs> this is no good. Like, then he starts, you know, yelling to to Canada, kind of in the same vein as you would imagine he used to as a child, where you know Canada was always kind of the guy who would kind of wrestle him out of trouble or whatever. Um, one of the primary issues I have with the Mean Baby scene is that. I guess this is because my my traditional kind of mindset on cyberpunk especially with human augmentation as the deus ex series likes to call it is that um it's it's kind of like people humans like chop off their limbs and put mechanical limbs in their place so that they can be better like that is the primary reason why that's done and i couldn't i didn't really get the feeling that tetsuo was desiring that at any point like Obviously, he gets his arm chopped off. He's gonna need a new one. So it's more out of necessity that he has to, you know, build this kind of ramshackle arm out of junk. But it just didn't feel like there was any reason for the technology to be there. Like, I think you could have, you could have portrayed his inability to control his powers without having to have the arm take over and turn him into meat baby or whatever. But I, I will say that it was gross. And regardless of what message they were trying to put through, it sticks to your in your head, you know.
1: So I will thank you all for your comments
2: about Meat Baby. <laughs> uh, it's this is we've uh, already had, you know, Alex's white whale. This is Michael's white yeah. whale. What <laughs> is the meaning <laughs> so of to meat Explain baby?
1: meat baby to me. Um what uh to to be fair to count to sort of put a counter example of your point, Marcus. I feel like a lot of cyberpunk also deals with, uh, like as like as sort of opposed to the Deus Ex style. Um, a lot of cyberpunk also deals with like, uh, cybernetic augmentations being at the cost of like one's own humanity and stuff like that. Like the way that okay. I have I have an idea about Meat Baby. Um
0: Enlightened. I think
1: Yeah, the I think the way that I see Meat Baby is one for the shock, because it's definitely there, and you know, along with the sort of grotesqueness uh pulling us in um to sort of like as a sort of climactic moment, because it is, you know, at the at the end, basically the last conflict of the of the film. I think i i would describe it almost like like i mean <laughs> i I know you said this in jest iris but it's it's kind of like tetsuo's body is like asserting itself if that makes any sense whatsoever. are you
2: are you referring to when i made that comment about sort of there's a psychological freudian take that you could take yeah. on it. I, I, yeah. that was actually not a joke. Like I said, it kind of like, okay, you know, lightheartedly, but I do think that there's a lot of valid interpretations you could read into this. And that is certainly one of the first ones that comes to my mind.
1: Yeah. Like that's exactly
2: I, it. Like the whole, the whole crux of this is that there really is not like a clear cut, well-defined objective sort of symbolism here. You know, that's what we're sort of like grappling with at the moment.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it's I, actually. I think what you said that really piqued my interest was the word instinct. That like, I like it almost feels like it's it. it, it okay, it's 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 like it's like you're fucking playing Magic the Gathering. And you're just like boy, you, you, and you're you're just a green deck, and you're just like I'm gonna put so many buffs on this one dude and at some point the dude just has to grow to just to such a grotesque amount that the power kind of overwhelms their physical being and is sort of forced to leak into the environment. That's That's, like, the best I could put it. It's the uh, fucking power overwhelming card from Hearthstone. You have
2: so many better (laughs) comparisons you could have used to make that point. (laughs) Hold
3: on. I'm going to pull out an even more obscure reference that kind of goes along that. I don't know how many of you have watched Batman Beyond, but there is one episode. And Batman Beyond is another kind of cyberpunk futuristic uh, take on what is the grim norm.
2: We'll probably get to Batman Beyond at some point on this show. We probably
0: will. But, I, but in any case, there's one episode that focus
3: on, focuses on a technology that allows humans to augment themselves to splice genes with animals so that, you know, you could look like a cheetah kind of – you could be like a cat girl. <laughs> Basically, you could be a cat girl, essentially.
1: Um, but D- Did you watch the new Wonder Woman? <laughs> I did. No,
2: don't, don't spoil me. Don't spoil me. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, sorry, oh boy. Sorry. <laughs> um also for the record that's like one of the three batman beyond episodes i have seen and they did not say the word cat girl that's all you buddy uh, that
3: is all me i don't really have a better way to explain it but in any case (laughs) the the climax of that episode is that this the the ceo of this company that doles out this kind of like gene splicing shit uh you know turns himself into a chimera essentially to like beat up batman because that's very batman thing to do but then he falls into like like, a box of, like, needles of, like, every single animal's, like, genes or something. So he just becomes this, like, Lovecraftian abomination of, like, every animal in the animal kingdom, and he, like, loses his mind, and it's, like, really, like, gross and stuff, but, like, that was kind of the thing that hit me when I saw this. It was just, like... it, It... It didn't need to be done. Like... It didn't have to be this gross, but the fact that it is this gross really like leaves a mark on your brain. So, yeah. I can't well, I mean, I can't knock the choice of the director to put it in there even though I don't understand it.
2: Well, the thing about, like, you know, drawing that comparison is, like, if you then open the door to, like, talk about all the different comic book you know, moments that are reminiscent of this, it's, you know, the trope of, oh, the scientist wants power and runs out of funding and has to do the experiments on themselves, and they achieve the science, but they're turned into a horrible monster. I mean, there's any number of you know, like DC Marvel, Red (laughs) Skull, Cheetah, Blockbuster. I mean, I can just name these characters off the top of my head. But at that point, what we're doing is naming like similar tropes that probably all were inspired in some way or another by Akira, right? We're flipping, we're flipping back and forth here. Uh,
0: Where where does it begin?
2: (laughs) You know what I actually was thinking of when I saw the Meat Baby? was like the SCP wiki <laughs> oh my god guys like losing that's, listeners that's, as, as as we keep <laughs> the going. flesh that hates exactly <laughs> you know the one. Oh um, man i highly recommend reading some of the stories in the scp wiki because it's a really great horror writing uh presented in a really cool way but you know and again we're just listing things that were probably inspired by this movie <laughs> but <laughs> i think i guess that just goes back to the point i was making earlier about this is the dna of this movie is in so much work that came after it
1: Akira is in everyone.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my and, god. And Akira <laughs> is in everyone. Oh boy. Bro, the director uh, but, probably
3: feels like a fucking genius having put that line in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but this this film does have like some really good body horror and just like scary and disturbing scenes of uh, the the scene where Tetsuo was in like the hospital room. And all the oh my like, god, the
1: fucking teddy bear, yeah.
0: When they start Sweet out small and then they become like gigantic and they start drooling yeah. and he falls through the floor, that was basically like sleep paralysis put in <laughs> movie form. Um, or like when but, he's
2: hallucinating on that road and he thinks all his organs fell out, like, yeah, oh my god, oh my god yeah, mm-hmm. god. oh,
0: yeah. The again, like animation doesn't really do well, Traditionally, there are obviously a few outliers, but traditionally. Horror is based in mostly, like, live-action films and flicks. Very rarely is it animated because there's that sort of disconnect, um, suspension of disbelief uh, sort of acting against you there. But I think this film does it really, really well. And I I do want to quickly talk about the ending of this movie because when I watched the ending of this movie, um, I, I kind of took a peek at like the amount of time we have left and like oh boy there's only like five minutes left in this movie how are they going to wrap everything up and then the movie just ends and i immediately went to michael and i just typed in what what just happened (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah what did you guys think about that ending because what happens in the movie is like it's just so it abruptly cuts out and uh it took me a while to sort of fully understand what exactly happened in the ending. But what did you guys think of it? Did you did you like it? Did you fully understand it uh the first go around?
2: Definitely not. <laughs> if we're asking about fully understanding it, I mean, I think the movie as a whole, I cannot say I fully understood. <laughs> I definitely felt like the 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 conclusion there were some deus ex machina feels to it some vibes to it you know because it's like oh yeah like the, the whole the whole thing of like Tetsuo pulling the, the vault out of the ground and then opening up and oh it's just Akira's like frozen remains and he's arranged them around his throne as he sits kind of triumphant over this like this image you know this idea in people's minds was very compelling but then to have that become oh yeah you know these three like kindergarteners are gonna pray and then akira is gonna come back and just <laughs> sort of make everything glow and then all the bad things go away i know that's not like the intention behind it there and there there's a lot of discussion to be had about sort of the philosophizing and this like idea of creation versus destruction right making it like a new big bang air quotes but it it was rushed i think and i think that's probably part of you know what got lost in translation from the manga
3: one of the things that i'll say is that i feel like the movie ended in the exact same spot in 1989 where tokyo is essentially nuked i feel like them choosing to end like pretty much after you know all of the rubble is just displayed and like it's, it's basically just destruction porn at that point like hey it's a new beginning kinda maybe and like that's where the movie ends like I understand why that was done. I'm not necessarily sure it was great as an ending, but...
2: I I kind of disagree with you here. And I, 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 this sort of, I think, is similar to something I, I disagreed with when you were saying, like, your take on the sort of message of the movie as a whole earlier. I don't think the whole, like, hey, it's a new beginning, kinda, is what they're going for. I think very explicitly they're going for, this is not a new beginning. History is repeating itself. Nothing has gotten better. Nothing has changed. Everyone made all the same mistakes, and everything is just as fucked up and shitty as it was in you know, nineteen eighty nine, when the city got destroyed for the first time, I feel like that's very explicitly so that, sort of a message that is, here. That
3: is what I mean by kinda. It's I didn't word that very well, but I think the the kind of sarcastic tone in my voice is suggesting that, like, yeah, nothing actually changed. It literally the exact same thing happened, and it is a new beginning for Canada and you know K and all the people that are still in the world. Obviously, Tetsu gets his own different ending, which is. Weird in its own way, but for everyone else, it's it's literally like now we just got to build Neo Neo Tokyo. Are we going to get it right the third time? Probably not. That's what the movie suggests.
2: There is an episode of Doctor Who that I was thinking of kind of around this point in which they travel into the future and visit new, 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 new New York. I'm sure I got the number of news wrong. Don't fact check me. Oh boy, we
0: were pulling out all the references for this episode.
2: Yeah, well, but that's exactly it. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. these ideas, whether or not Akira invented them, you know, Akira was very seminal in like pushing them across to science fiction everywhere. Yeah,
0: I can definitely, definitely see that. I, I wanted to.
2: OK,
1: here we go. First, my take on the ending. Um, I think that as per Marcus's point, the sort of idea that nothing actually like everything basically got reverted to 1989. I I think that the reason that it works for me is one because of the fact that the Espers left that they are the ones that made a conscious choice to save Canada and then go back with Tetsuo into this is according to the wiki and lore
2: to their own dimension, apparently. Yeah, like a new universe that the big bang air yeah, quotes like, again made.
1: Yeah. Um and uh, I think that part of that choice made it more impactful to me than a blanket, everything's the same, because those espers, right, their numbers are 20, 25, 26, and 27, and Akira was number 28. And so they existed before Akira. They were with Akira. And you know, obviously we don't know the whole picture of why Akira caused the first singularity to happen in the first place. But it's reasonable to assume that those espers were you know, there to witness that as well. And so almost I kind of want to say that like the the espers are almost like standing in for us, the audience, where they view the first one and, you know, they're continued to be studied and cared for by the government. And then it just leads to a a second one, essentially. Um, And so them sort of making the choice to be like, okay, maybe we should just not be here anymore (laughs) um, was a sort of like turning point. It's something that did change. Um, as for the sort of abruptness of the ending, I do agree that like it did end very abruptly, just like directly after Meat Baby and then they're like, oh look, Akita's here! And then like, Meat Baby gets absorbed. Um, but I actually think that I don't mind it because actually, okay, I I will say, the part that I did mind was that them just being able to conjure Akita out of thin air was just like Yeah,
2: it's very Deus uh, Ex-Mai, Yeah,
1: I get that, and I think that honestly, it's almost i it it almost felt intentional to me that Akira is this Deus. Uh, pardon my uh, pun there, but I think that in a sense, Akira is sort of meant to be this like god that saves humanity to a certain extent by destroying them, like that's sort of it's, it's sort of like a, a like a reap what you sow thing like if you wanted the powers of god here you go blow yourselves up with it very cyberpunk kind of thing yeah exactly and again very a very cyberpunkian thing um so for me like i totally agree that it's a deus ex machina i i, I for me i don't think it's a bad thing like i, I actually like that that's how it got resolved yeah.
2: to a certain extent and i mean the thing is like akira isn't I mean, not talking about the manga, but in the movie adaptation, Akira is not a character. Akira is a force. Akira is a plot device. You know, it's an idea. It represents something. It's symbolic. But, you know, even though we literally see Akira after he gets resurrected, like, you know, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He's not a character for the purposes of the narrative.
1: Yeah. And actually, I think that it's honestly one of like the sort of uh, really interesting parts of the movie that I liked. The fact that Akira is not a character. Akira is almost like an idea that mm-hmm. like you know Absolutely. before the before it's revealed what like okay f- like for me the film is a sort of journey to discovery of what Akira is right. First it's the sort of like whisper on the corner that like some god that someone prays to or like some a natural force then we learn like oh there was an experiment that you know maybe went wrong and they had to seal this person in like an almost absolute zero uh, degree absolute zero uh container thing underground and then like oh we learned they actually did you know dissect akira and now it's just the remains and like okay akira now has the power to like create another dimension so like for me that like progression kind of is what tied everything together the sort of like discovery of what is akira and what akira can do
2: and I think, I think the sparseness in like explicit detail about Akira and sort of this journey, this this thought of Akira as an idea rather than a character, rather than a discrete thing, is, I think, in a large part responsible for just how, like, universally acclaimed this movie is. Because you know the the way that Akira is presented, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier about Meat Baby, there's a lot of valid readings that you can make. Of this movie and what it's saying and what Akira represents, uh, it's there's 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 room for interpretation, I think. Which is not something that you, I it's not something that I think that gets pulled off well very often in movies of this scale. Mm-hmm.
1: And as a as a final note to to perhaps end on, um, all you uh, budding writers out there. If you ever want someone to remember the name of a character, just have someone shout it at them ten times. <laughs> Tetsuo!
0: Tetsuo! Tetsuo! Huh? Huh?
1: Well, I would Uh, like to say, we've probably said meat
3: baby like 30 or 40 times on this episode (laughs) alone,
1: so if you come away with
3: one thing, it's probably the phrase meat
1: baby in
3: your head. Meat
0: (laughs) baby is in all of us. (laughs) We're all meat baby at the end of the day. We're all meat baby on this blessed day. (laughs) 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 All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening to our podcast. Uh, That'll do it for us this week. Uh, This week's YouTube video that you can watch. I tried to find a Cyberpunk video, although the only thing that people are talking about now for Cyberpunk is the game that came out. Uh, So I'll have to recommend the Cyberpunk 2077 parody uh, animation that Cass Vanderpool made um, a couple of weeks ago. It's ridiculous, Um, and I think it sort of loosely fits um, our Cyberpunk theme that we talked about today. Uh, but once again, that'll do it for us the, today, folks. Sorry for shouting meat baby in your ears for <laughs> for for a long time. Uh, but uh, you will hear from us next week. Bye bye.
2: Thank you.